Well, good morning, folks. Uh, I can't say it's lovely to see you because I can't see any of you. Uh, but it's certainly a privilege to share with you this morning. And I'm going to do a part two to what Louise and I spoke about a week ago, uh, where we were speaking about intercessory prayer. This is intercessory prayer, part two. And we're going to start in Daniel 10, uh, but you're also going to need to put a finger in your Bible in Matthew chapter 16, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, and also in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Matthew 16. So if you're with someone in your front room and their palms aren't too sweaty, grab a hand and let's open our hearts to the Lord this morning. Father, thank you uh, for your goodness to us as we've been singing, your love endures forever. We pray now, as the prophet Jeremiah said, that your word would be like a fire shut up in our hearts that we can't even keep in. Indeed, we just need to let it out. And we pray, Jesus, living word, that you would come with the fire of your Holy Spirit and that you would bring us, uh, as you did to Daniel, wisdom, understanding, and passion for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, my title this morning uh, on the website is Prayer, Fasting, and Spiritual Battles. Uh, but really what, what I would love you to take away is the breakthrough power of prayer and fasting, the breakthrough power of prayer and fasting. That when we pray and fast, it's almost like if you saw a fireman taking out a proper hose, not a garden hose, and just unleashing it and a cannon of water just hits the target. That when we pray and fast, it's like unleashing the living water of heaven to just hit the target of the earth. And I'd love you just to go away excited and impassioned about prayer and fasting. And uh, one of the things that um, I, I, I hope to bring out from this morning is really addressing one of the great questions of our age, one of the great questions in society, which is basically, why is the world so messed up? You know, how do we understand the brokenness and the suffering and the evil in the world. And one of the tragedies uh, very often when people haven't you know, heard about the, the amazing majesty and goodness of Jesus, it, one of the tragedies often in our culture today is when people transfer blame for suffering onto God. And they often do that by overemphasizing the sovereign control they assume God must have over the affairs of the world if he is real. And they think, well, I can't believe in God because, you know, if God was real, then surely he would have stopped this happening, etc., etc. You know, and I think one of, the, one of the things I always try and share when I'm talking with, with people, you know, beyond the boundaries of the church about this great question is I always say there are, there are two, like not awesome because they're really difficult, but two ways of understanding why the world is messed up and then that helps you understand how God is at work in the world, healing suffering, dealing with evil 
and the part that we can play. And so the obvious uh, way of understanding why the world is broken is because of the presence of what church people would call sin and what I would explain as, as just the, the shame and twistedness of the human existence. You know, even on my best days, you know, I don't live as God would have me live. And that, that presence of the incapacity to be an amazing person 100% all the time is what Scripture calls sin. And one of, the, one of the amazing truths about Jesus is that he came to, to deal with this. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we find forgiveness for our sin. And we find our shame taken away. And we find our hearts cleaned and cleansed. And, you know, we're made whole. And that's just the amazing truth about what Jesus has done. Uh, but, but sin and brokenness affects the whole planet. And so one of the reasons that we have the presence of natural disasters in our world or the presence of a global pandemic as we're facing right now is because the world is just broken, because it isn't how it was meant to be. And within that, God is working through his church and through those who come to know Jesus. And therefore, if you're watching this and don't know him, why wouldn't you? Because he's done all the work and simply calls us to put our, our whole trust and surrender our lives to him. Uh, but God is restoring the world and making it new. That's one thing. But the other is, because of the spiritual presence of evil in the world, the personification of evil by the person the scriptures call the devil is actively at work in the world, influencing, deceiving, and trying to destroy lives. And this is some of the territory we find ourselves in in Daniel chapter 10. And if you listened uh, to me a couple of weeks ago, you know, I will rarely talk about the devil, the enemy of God, you know, and really he takes up about 5% of scripture. So if you listen to certainly us teaching in our church, I hope that we don't talk about him more than about 5% because that seems about a healthy total for us. But we're in the 5% territory again this morning. And, uh, you know, I would just say from my own experience, I have encountered the personification of evil sometimes in people's lives, certainly in places and in atmospheres enough to know that it is real and God has shown us how to deal with it. And what I want to bring out this morning is the breakthrough power of prayer and fasting uh, in terms of tearing down the personification of evil and the power of the devil and demons. And I'm going to show you that this morning. So we're in wild territory, it's Daniel chapter 10, but listen, buckle up, here we go, game on. So um, just to locate us, when we find ourselves in Daniel 10, Daniel 7 is about the ascension of Jesus, Daniel chapter 8 is about uh, two of the four kingdoms referred to in Daniel 7, which I think is uh, brought out to us so helpfully, which is about the kingdoms of Persia and Greece. And we find them referenced again in this passage. Daniel 9, we find Daniel praying. And then we find a whole bunch of numbers which refer to uh, the fulfillment of God's 
judgment on the people of Israel. And in chapter 10, we have this encounter uh, that Daniel has, not while he's asleep, an encounter he, he has three weeks into praying and fasting. And uh, this is what Jim read to us this morning. So Daniel's been praying for three weeks. Uh, as Jim said, he's been lamenting. He's been fasting rich, uh, expensive foods. He's been fasting meat and wine. Uh, he's not been bathing himself. Uh, he's a bit like our tech crew. Um, and in verse 12, um, we find uh, the angel, which I, I think is Gabriel, saying to Daniel, do not fear, for from the first day, referring to the start of the three weeks, from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Your words have been heard. There's just the truth right there and then. As Daniel prayed and set his face towards understanding, seeking God, his, his prayers were heard in heaven. When we pray, God really does hear. Your words have been heard. Verse 12, and I have come because of your words. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me 21 days. So Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me and I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia and I've come to help you understand what is to happen to your people at the end of days for there's a further vision to come. And what you're going to find uh, in chapter 11 is Daniel getting insight into the suffering that was preceding uh, the birth of Jesus, uh, which was just um, in intensely severe for the people of God. So what's going on here? We've got some language of the prince of of the kingdom of Persia. We've got Michael, one of the chief princes coming. And then uh, clearly there's some delay in terms of Gabriel appearing to Daniel and giving him, bringing to him insight and the answer to his prayers. Now we know this isn't literally flesh and blood princes. And one of the words in the original language for prince here is also interchangeable with a kind of chief angel. And so what we've got is a spiritual picture about Daniel, why he's been praying for three weeks, no answer, three weeks, pray fast, pray fast, pray fast. And then three weeks, suddenly Gabriel appears and comes to speak to him and he tells him, I've been delayed because I've been battling the angel of the kingdom of Persia, the prince of the, uh, the kingdom of Persia, and then another angel, Michael, came to help me. I've left him kicking butt in Persia. And what we find at the end of this passage in verse 20 is that Gabriel goes back to help Michael uh, ahead of the angel of Greece coming. So what do we learn from this passage? What do we learn from this passage? The first thing we learn is that there is something going on in the spiritual realm which is distinct from heaven but is real and is being shown to Daniel and has an effect on the affairs of the world. So Gabriel has tried to come to Daniel. He's been delayed by a demonic power residing over the kingdom of Persia 
He called for some reinforcements. Michael's gone to do the job. He's released Gabriel to come to Daniel. Gabriel's going to go back and finish the job and then they're going to take on the the demonic power behind the kingdom of Greece. So, there's a spiritual realm being shown to Daniel distinct from heaven that affects the affairs of the world, the rise of these kingdoms, that we see angels and demons warring together and, uh, you know, affecting the affairs of the world. So, let's just step back from this a minute and think, okay, this is getting a bit wild. How does this collide with the New Testament? Well, have you ever thought to yourself, why, have you ever thought to yourself this question? Why don't people just get God? Why don't people just see just how coherent and beautiful the gospel of Jesus is? Like, why don't people just get it? You know, anyone can buy a Bible from anywhere. Anyone can beam into our services or churches around the world. Why don't people just get it? And the New Testament gives us an answer to this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says this. People don't understand the gospel because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Paul's teaching the Corinthian church saying the God of this world has blinded the the minds of unbelievers to stop them from seeing how good Jesus is and his glory. There's a spiritual realm out there that affects the affairs of this world. Now I said to you a minute ago, this is not happening in heaven. So where is this happening? It can't be happening in heaven because in heaven, where God is on his throne, there is his perfect reign, wonderfully displayed and unhindered by the presence of evil. So the reason the devil is active and present in the world is because, Scripture teaches us, he was flung out of heaven, he was formerly an angel, and he was flung out of heaven and arrived on planet earth. There's no contest in heaven where God is with the presence of evil. There's no contest there. So where is this happening? Well, Scripture, I think, teaches us that reality is broken up into three levels. The earth that we live in, that we exist in uh, by our flesh and blood, the earth, then there's heaven where God is, almost like level three, we're on level one, and then this in-between phase, in-between stage, which is the spiritual realm, which is sometimes in scripture referred to as the heavenlies, which is the place where uh, Satan, where demons, and where angels meet and fight and collide. Scripture refers to this um, uh, place uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Do you remember Paul is basically saying, you've been raised up with Christ. Um, but he says in um, chapter 2, verse 2, you, talking to Christians, Um, believers you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once lived following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air 
the spirit in those who are disobedient. You're following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit in those who are disobedient. So we seem to be getting this picture that there's earth where we all live. Then there's this sort of spiritual realm inhabited by angels and demons, governed by the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. And then there's heaven. And the amazing truth about what God has done in Jesus, coming as one of us, the Son of Man, and then ascending back to heaven, is that that fallen state that we find the world in, fallen from where it was meant to be, in perfect communion with God, the connection between level one where we live on earth and level three in heaven where God is, has been healed and restored through Jesus. But we still live with the reality of level two, the spiritual realm, distinct from heaven, where the prince of the, of the power of the air, where Satan lives and tries to influence and deceive the world, and where angels come and war against, as we see in this passage in Daniel, with demonic powers there, we still live with this reality. So, I hope this makes sense and isn't freaking anybody out, but I want to show us the, the breakthrough power of prayer and fasting and how this affects level two uh, through our connection in, on level one with level three. Hope that makes sense. So, um, but let me, yeah, uh, let me just say, let me just share with you a story first of all. Because I think what happens is, is sometimes the church splits into two pendula, ends of the pendulum swinging. Uh, and I, I want to sort of avoid both of those ends this morning and hopefully help us and give us a vision for what God is calling us to uh, with what I'm speaking about. One end of the pendulum is this. People get obsessed with level two, the spiritual realm, and then uh, very subtly spend all their time focusing on level two and if you see and hear them after a while uh, the prince of the power of the air the devil loves it because he's pulling their attention off level three where God is in heaven and you know they get have a sort of wild-eyed look in their eyes and they just sort of see you know conspiracies behind everything and they get a bit wild that's one end of the pendulum we don't want to go to at the other end is uh, a very unaware state, living as a Christian, but not really laying hold of all God has done and not seeing that actually, if God has done everything in heaven and he's called us to live it out on earth, why is the world not seeing more of the kingdom? It's because level two needs dealing with and the air needs clearing, the fog needs moving aside and so that we have a, a clearer connection in the earthly realm with level three. Let me give you an example of this. Where we live in our area, we've been known historically as being a place where dark arts are practiced. Now, if you were on this end of the pendulum, just not really engaging in the spiritual realm, you might think, well, God will deal with it. I'll just sort of, you know, carry on regardless. But, you know, where as people have prayed in our area over the years, we've seen the fog clearing. So much so 
that we are seeing God restoring and redeeming the spiritual atmosphere where we live so that stuff like this happens. I was talking to um, somebody from our communities uh, about two weeks ago and they moved in in the autumn of 2019. So not lived in the area very long and they're not someone who goes to church or has Christian faith. Anyway, we were just talking a bit about stuff and um, uh, I was talking to this lady and she suddenly said, said to me, um, do you know, you've just reminded me, the craziest thing happened. We, bought, we moved into our house uh, and then a week later, I suddenly had a dream and in the dream, I was walking with Jesus. She said, I've never, you know, really known anything about Jesus. I remember something from when I was at primary school, but I'm, you know, a grown adult now. I've not done anything. I've never been to church since. But in this dream, suddenly this, this figure who was gleaming with white drew up next to me. We walked together in the dream, and then he walked off. And I woke up the next morning, and I said to my partner, do you know, I've just had a dream, and I knew it was Jesus. I don't know, really know anything about him, but I knew it was Jesus. And, and, and she was like, oh, Jesus reminded me, because I remember for like the next month, I just felt so peaceful. I felt so, you know, like alive and, and so calm. And, and she, she was like, what does that mean? So I just beautifully got to tell her. It's because where we live, well, everywhere, but particularly where we live, God is present and he comes to us. And do you know what? Jesus is so good. That's what he does. He calms our fears. He disperses our anxiety. He heals our hearts. That's what it's like to walk with Jesus, you know, and, and we're in a process, you know, where God is really working there. But anyway, all that to say, isn't that amazing? We used to be known as a place where people would gather to practice dark arts and someone moves into our communities and, and a week later has a vision in their dream of Jesus. That doesn't happen by accident and it happens in response to prayer. So let's have a look. You know, there's a truth here that Daniel has an insight into what is going on as he is praying and fasting. And as he prays and fasts, again, to encourage us, nothing seems to happen for 21 days, for three weeks. And then suddenly, boom, he's visited by an angel and he gets an insight into what is going on in level two in the spiritual realm and how God is unleashing Gabriel and Michael to deal with the demonic powers in the kingdoms of Persia and Greece. And and that's what Daniel sees as he's praying and fasting. So I just want to, I just sort of was listing a few things um, about fasting um, that I've learned and, and I think they're interchangeable with prayer just as I've you know, reflected on these. Um, fasting and prayer are just full of power, unleashing the fire hose and I think this is, um, I just want to share with you four points as to why. The first is when we fast, when we abstain from earthly things, it purifies our own hearts and And because it purifies our own hearts, we commune with God more closely than we have been. When we fast and abstain from earthly things, we commune with God more closely. You know, every time I fast, I just come out of a period of fasting feeling like I just can sense God's voice 
and be aware of his presence way more clearly because I've just almost detoxed from some of the things of the world that just, I don't know, seduce us and clog us up after a while. And so a fast isn't always enjoyable, but it definitely purifies us so that we commune with God more closely. Secondly, fasting keeps me humble because I become aware of my physical limitations and therefore see that God's mighty power really is the true source of life and strength and glory in the universe. You know, for us where we live, we are so in control of our lives so often. But you know when I fast, and I realise after a couple of days, man, I am famished, I am hungry, you know, I am feeling weak and tired. It makes me realise I'm not as powerful as I may be deceived into thinking I am. And it makes me aware, okay, you really are the source of all life. You really are the king. You really are the one who holds all things, you know, by your wonderful, <laughs> wonderful power. You really are the glorious one. And it makes me aware of my limitations and throws me to God. Thirdly, fasting keeps, I found, keeps me hungry for God by exposing all the things that seduce me in life to be hungry for. So, you know, I don't know whether you found this when you fasted before, but suddenly I realise, you know, once I break, the first bit of fasting is, oh my goodness, I didn't realise how much I was really looking forward to a glass of wine. Or I was really looking forward to that dessert. Or I was really looking forward to this program. But when you push through that, it's like, ah, oh, how could I ever have been deceived into thinking those things were enjoyable and taking pleasure from those things? Because you are my pleasure. You are my comfort. You are my joy. You are my strength. And it, and it gets me hungry for the things of God again. So, you know, for me, I fast reasonably regularly I have to be careful because I lose weight a bit quickly and I'm not keen to lose weight, but I do have a, a regular discipline of fasting. You know, I'm just saying this just to teach. I fast at least once a week for 24 hours and the reason is is because I live amidst abundance in West Sussex. You know, my fridge is always full. I, I always go to sleep dry. You know, I have no real major concerns about provision but it keeps me hungry for the things of the Lord so I don't get seduced by earthly things. And it weans me off them and says, actually, my true food is to do the will of my Father. And my true you know, connection is with you. And my true joy is always found in beholding your beauty and your glory. Okay? Fourth thing, fasting creates a landing zone for the presence of the kingdom through surrender. Fasting creates a landing zone for the things of the kingdom through surrender. I'm talking about the breakthrough power of prayer and fasting. I'm trying to excite you for it. But prayer and fasting isn't glamorous. You actually feel weak when you pray and fast because it's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of dependency. It's a posture of exalting God and lifting him high in our lives. It's a posture which wears out our knees and call, throws us onto him. But what that does is it throws us into the place we were always meant to be. Cross taken up, life laid down, 
full-on surrender following Jesus. And in that place, God can entrust us with the presence of his kingdom to flow through our lives and to land all around us. That's four things that I found to be fasting. And uh, they seem important uh, in uh, how Daniel sees into the spiritual realm. And I would just put to us, they're important for us. But let's, let's just, I want to throw us now to the New Testament uh, because I always think it's good to just test out what we're seeing in the Old Testament through the life of Jesus and what happens there. Firstly, do we see Jesus engaging with level two? And uh, what can we learn from what Jesus teaches and does? Well, what we see in Jesus is a few hints here and there of his engagement in level two, the space where the spiritual realm where angels and demons collide. But they're, they're, they're hints. You don't see a lot of stuff there, but they are hints. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sent out the 70 and they return and they're pumped because they've been delivering demons and they're just rocking and rolling. And they're just like, we've been kicking butt everywhere. Like we've been absolutely exterminating, ghost-busting demons right across Galilee and whatever. We've been kicking ass. And they return to Jesus. They're giving the, the, the report. And Jesus says, do you remember? He said, I saw Satan fall like a flash of lightning. And then he goes on to remind them, hey guys, it's, it's awesome, all the blood and guts that you've been doing with all the demon stuff. But just remember, the most important thing is that your names are written in the book of life. But what's going on? You know, Jesus can't have seen the expulsion of Satan from heaven at that moment. What Jesus is seeing, he's seeing into level two, seeing something has been dismantled in the spiritual realm around the area, which has meant that the power of Satan has been broken in some way. And Jesus suddenly sees it like a flash of light, lightning. The power of the, 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 the demonic power of the prince of the power of the air has suddenly fallen in that region. And, and they all rejoice and he teaches them and instructs them. But I want to pick up what Jesus teaches in Matthew 16 um, and just relate it to this. Um, because, you know, you remember that famous passage, Jesus confronts them and, and says, listen, who do you say I am? And Peter plucks up the courage and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms them, says, and you're going to get a new name, my friend. Forget Simon, you are Petros, Peter the rock. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will also be loosed in heaven. Now, what's going on? I think we know what being given the keys to the kingdom means because we have the same kind of analogy for important people even today in our culture. If you get given the keys to Brighton and Hove, you're not literally unlocking the gates, you know, at the bottom of the A23 and allowing cars in and out. What you're doing is you're being entrusted with leadership and authority in the affairs of the city. And it's the same 
sense, Jesus is entrusting to his disciples, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what that means is whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying, right, charge into level two now and start binding up territorial spirits in the spiritual realm at this moment. Because as you read the life of Jesus, we don't see him charging around Galilee and the backwaters, taking on territorial demonic strongholds over the nation at that time. What we do see Jesus doing is delivering people of demons and when demons manifest and show themselves, we see him very often rebuking them, telling them to be silent so they're not allowed to speak before he kicks butt. I um, was making a hospital visit um, about a year ago and outside the hospital there was uh, a whole crowd of um, people who looked like they lived on the streets. And um, I, don't, I noticed them coming into the hospital and when I came, you know, I thought, ah, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and when I came out after my visit, they were still there. So I thought, okay, let's, let's, let's just have a bit of fun. I was free and available. So I just went and introduced myself. And um, uh, it was a very psychedelic conversation going on. I think there were some illegal substances that had been consumed. And the conversation was just wild. Um, just all over the shop and hard to follow. So I was, I was there for a few minutes and they kindly let me stay with them. And so I thought, well, let's just change, change the direction of this conversation. So I just began to just welcome the presence of the Lord and then just got really, really giggly. Um, and, I, you know, I was just, God just began to download joy and I just started laughing and laughing and laughing. Um, and, then, and then they started to notice and, and then a couple of them started turning to me and, and just started saying, what's going on with you? Um, and like, why are you, why are you so happy? Why are you laughing? And so I just got to say, well, well, Jesus is with me and he's in me and he's just filling me with joy and with love for you all. And, um, you know, I said, do you want some? And, and they were like the sort of guys who just say yes to consuming anything so they said yeah so um, I was just doing what I do in church was just swaying side to side and just laughing my head off so I said listen just start swaying side to side and listen I'm just going to bump you on the shoulder and then just allow Jesus just to make you really happy um, so so then two or three of them just started doing it and they were sort of giggling a little bit but mocking to start with and I was like okay and I'm just listening to God and just feeling his joy and feeling his love for them and just wanting them to know joy real joy not fake joy through substances and so um, so I said okay here it comes here it comes and I was like just bump one of them and he burst out laughing and he actually fell on the ground and just started, started laughing his head off and they were like cool and then they just they bumped into me and I was like boom here it comes <laughs> and then they and then we're just we're all just laughing and the whole group just is like killing themselves with laughter and this one guy I could see he'd been like very sort of standoffish towards me he came near and he and he came right into my face and he went ah and um, I could sense it was demonic power. And I looked straight back at him and I just said, be quiet. And he suddenly went backwards 
and, uh, and we just carried on in joy. And what I'm trying to illustrate is there is a difference between territorial demonic strongholds in level two over areas and regions in the atmosphere there to the manifestation physically of a demon in the, uh, in the earthly realm. You know, if someone like that guy went, ah, you know, that was, that, that was a demon showing itself. And I silenced it because I didn't want it to hinder joy, the joy that was going on. And I went and found him later and he just, well, he was just running from me. He just wouldn't come anywhere near me. But it was nice because I got to just tell the guys about Jesus and then went on my way and left Worthing and here we are. Um, but um, there's a difference when a demon shows itself on level one, then Jesus said, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. I've given you leadership in the city leadership in the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What that teaches me is when I, when I say be quiet, I have the full weight of level three. I have the full weight of heaven backing up that authoritative word that I spoke so that the job is done. Like I have no power or authority. You know, I haven't got like steroids that I take, you know, I just very quietly said, be quiet. He went away. Because Jesus given us authority delegated from him that when we exercise it in accordance with his will, because remember, you know, the mission is to see the kingdom extend and Jesus says, proclaim the kingdom and how that's going to look is demons are going to flee and be cast out. So I've got legitimate authority from level three, from heaven, from God, that when I bind something and I say be quiet, that gets the full weight of heaven behind that. And it does the business. Now that is different. And what we don't see in scripture is hurling abuse at the demons behind the kingdoms of Persia and Greece, hurling them at the land, hurling them at whatever's going on over our nation, hurling them over the area, that is, level two is dealt with by angels as we ask God to deliver us from evil. So when we bind and we loose, that gives us assurance that when we bind something on level one, we have the full power and authority of level three, heaven behind us. It also makes us take seriously the power of our words you know, as the book of James teaches us, you know, life and death are carried in the power of the tongue. So if I think about someone badly, just remember what I'm loosing on earth and how that just has an impact on their ability to come into the fullness of what God has for them. You know, so anyway, so but what I'm trying to illustrate is the connection that we have because of delegated authority by Jesus. Now let's pick, pick up Ephesians 6. I just want to show us um, how... Uh, uh, how warfare works and level two is cleared uh, by looking at Ephesians chapter six. What you'll find in Ephesians chapter six is we are commanded to put on the armor of God and to take our stand against the wiles of the devil. 
Be strong in the Lord, verse 10, and in, the, in his mighty power. Put on the whole armour of God so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Verse 12, for our battle is not against fle- flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we could read that and think, rah, you know, let's just take, Right, let's fight. Are we ready? Come on. SDA, I'm going to fight. Whoa, I'm going to fight for the land, you know, and all of that. But look, how are we called to fight? How are we called to put on armour? We have five descriptions of the gracious gifts of God portrayed through armour that we're told to put on. Amazing gifts. Put on the helmet of salvation. Isn't it interesting where a helmet covers, covers our brains, covers our minds, put on the helmet of salvation. The enemy always seeks to intimidate us and say, you're not good enough, you're rubbish, I'm going to kick your butt. Forgive me for the colloquialisms uh, today. I'm just excited. Um, But when we put on salvation, the gift of God over our minds, we're reminded that when we've given our lives to Jesus, nothing can erase our names from the book of life. Nothing can, nothing can stamp out what God did in Jesus 2,000 years ago. So it's like, ah, you know, get your mind sorted by knowing that you've been given a gift of salvation which has transferred you into the kingdom of heaven and no one can rob you of that. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that cover? It covers our hearts. Who sometimes feels condemned and sometimes feels rubbish? Well, hang on a minute. The truth and the gift that God has done is he's made us, according to Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of God through that, the imputed, given to us righteousness because Jesus has paid the way. And put that on your hearts. I am acceptable. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. I am cleansed. I'm purified. So I don't need to feel condemned in my heart and my emotional place any longer. Put on the belt of truth. Get the word in us. Get, get who God is in us so that it keeps everything in place and our trousers don't fall down and we're exposed. <laughs> Live in peace by putting on shoes of the gospel of peace. You know, it's so interesting that to fight the, the devil, we don't use violence. <laughs> we use peace. And... And when we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, knowing we have peace with God, knowing we've got the the opportunity as we proclaim the gift of God in Jesus of salvation, the gospel, that it actually creates peace everywhere around us. Even when a few things might kick off when we proclaim him. Put on peace, live in peace, release peace, proclaim peace. Lift up the shield of faith by which all the arrows are extinguished. Man, I am covered. I am untouchable by the devil. He might try and persuade me that I'm in a spiritual battle and there's an even contest between God and him. There's not. Shield of faith, boom, get off me. You're no more than an annoying little scorpion just trying to, you know, you haven't even got any poison, just hit my ankles. It's like, get away from me. Shield of faith, boom. I'm surrounded by him. I'm protected. And take up the only offensive weapon, which is not getting crossed, not shouting, not losing our rag at the principalities and powers. 
It's pressing forward with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's pressing the Word into the atmosphere around us. And it's interesting, the Word of God there is, there's two, in the original language, words um, that get used for for Scripture in the Word. Uh, One is logos and one is rima. And I would say interchangeably, press the scripture into your lives and into the land around you. But also, in this context, the Rema word is the now word of God. It's the word that God is releasing. And the problem, when, when, when the enemy intimidates us and we feel like we're in a spiritual battle, uh, what happens is we, we lose the ability to hear the voice of God because we get fearful and we get intimidated. But when we put on the gracious gifts of God and all he's done for us, take our stand again. It's like, no one can rob me of salvation. No one can make me feel rubbish. No one can dismantle me through a lack of knowledge of the truth. No one is going to attack me. Then I can hear his voice and the now word of God and I can press that into a situation. And we had a wonderful description, you know, about infertility last week. And as that word was released in prayer... The now word of God to heal infertility, boom, stuff happens. And as we heard the testimony, people start falling pregnant. Infertility is broken off and life is released. What what the distinction I'm trying to make for us now is that as we take responsibility for the spiritual atmosphere around us, we're not to start hurling whatever's at angels and demons in the spiritual realm but we're to pray to the Lord and recognize that the battle belongs to him and he will unleash the armies of the angels of heaven to deal with all the principalities and powers that go on in level two to dismantle their influence so that the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven and the gospel of Jesus can advance and there can be an a clearing of the fog so that level three and level one come into union and harmony. Let me try and summarise this for us. Um, I'd love us, as we meditate on this, the breakthrough power of prayer and fasting is that it is focused on God. We pray to the Lord. We pray always to him. It's focused on God. Number two, when we take up godly authority shared with us by Jesus, we take up authority on level one. If there's a manifestation of evil, then we can take up authority and just do it quietly, carefully, and um, do it there. Following the leadership of God through the revelation of what Father's doing and what is legitimate for kingdom people as we advance the kingdom. Number three, as we pray and fast, it's, it's like as we loose the, the water cannon, when we pray and fast, it's like suddenly God locks in and he finds someone taking responsibility in prayer for level one and he deals with the spiritual realm in level two. When we pray and fast, look what Daniel did. Three weeks, 
man, they're unleashing Gabriel and Michael to, to just do what they needed to do so that things can advance. He fights the battles. He deals with the principalities and powers. At the very most, we're called to take our stand so we won't be pushed backwards. And what I've found when I've, when I've sensed any spiritual battles around me, if we take our stand, the devil flees away. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't go chasing him, but just resist. And it, and it diminishes and it goes away as we take our stand. And then we're free to advance forward again. But he fights our battles. And number four, when we're on our knees, locking in through fasting and prayer, the fog clears, there's a greater connection, the air purifies, demons can't exist any longer, and the glory of the Lord is welcome to dwell in, in the second level and on the first level, and there's unity between three, two, and one as God is welcomed through prayer and fasting to come in his power, by his presence, to come and dwell and be present amongst us. Let me just finish with um, just one short story. Uh, there was a situation I was involved with where I was um, talking with a civic leader and um, they had some influence and position and um, they turned to me in a quiet moment when not many other people could hear and they turned towards me and they said, James, I am against everything you are trying to do in the name of the church and I'm going to try and dismantle every, every kind of ounce of success you might try and forge you know, for your God. I am working against that and I want you to know that <laughs> so it's quite a full-on thing um so I I did what <laughs> well I didn't really know what to do so I just started laughing <laughs> so I just said okay well where do we go from here then <laughs> um so they've declared their hand which is to stand against what I am representing and trying to advance as the church and I would say for the kingdom. So Louise and I began to fast and pray and we, just in accordance with what I've been saying, we weren't unleashing judgment on them. We weren't, you know, do you remember the disciples when the Samaritans sort of rise up against Jesus and they're like, Jesus, can we just actually call down fire from heaven and erase them from planet earth <laughs> can we just unleash carnage on the Samaritans and Jesus is like whoa 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 you don't know what spirit you're in you know so so we Louise and I are not like we're not going to call down fire from heaven to judge this person we started praying Lord bless them Lord promote them and Lord would you remove them from influence because they've declared their hand and would you either change their hearts or promote them into a better place so that your kingdom can advance here. Bless their life, Lord. Open the eyes of their hearts. You know, if, if you won't remove them, if they won't repent, would you remove them and move them on? And I'll tell you what, within three months, that person had moved out of their position and we were able to take ground and to win ground for the kingdom. Fasting and prayer 
And God does the business and moves, moves things into alignment and fights our battles. So is that good? Right. I'm just going to pray quickly now. We've, um, we've uh, probably gone far enough, but just as I come into land, I just, just want to pray just some truth over any of us who feel like we're in spiritual battles today. I just want to speak into your life. We may refer to it as a spiritual battle, but it is really not a contest. Jesus has won it all. He's reigning on the throne next to his father. He's interceding for you and for us and for the prevailing of the church even now. There is no contest between him and the devil. And so in the name of Jesus, may you know the truth of all he's done. I I call you now to put on the gifts that he's given you, which are armour for your spirit and armour for your soul. I just release a fresh awareness of the gift of salvation, of the truth of the word of God, that you'd find your shield lifted up again, and no deception, no lies, no intimidation, no fear, no, no anxiety would come anywhere near you because it would just be extinguished by the faith that Jesus is releasing into your life right now. That you'll be able to make peace with all, peace with God, know that you have peace in the kingdom and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word now for this situation, which is that the battle's won, the kingdom's advancing, God is on the move. The enemy's real, but he's defeated. God is bigger. The best is yet to come. Your life is going to be full of the glory of the Lord as you surrender to him. And so as we pray, as we fast, as we pray for our households and for this land, Lord, would you rend the heavens and come down? I'm excited to see level three, extinguishing demons from level two, and the earth reflecting the beauty the peace, the joy, the righteousness, the glory of the kingdom of heaven. And may it be so for the glory of Jesus. And may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his beautiful holy face to shine upon you. May he turn the, the, the glorious light of his countenance towards you and this day and every day fill you with his peace. Amen. <laughs> Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Walk with purpose, with boldness, with humility, with gentleness, with kindness, with self-control. Never walk in fear. Like the angel said to Daniel, be strong, be courageous. And may you know God's grace this week and forevermore. Amen. Amen.